Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for GWBC Radio's Open for Business. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of GWBC Open for Business, and this will be an interesting one. Today, I have Teresa Payton, and she is with Fortalis Solutions. Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Well, Teresa, before we get too far into things, tell us about Fortalis. How are you serving folks? Well, um, one of the things that we focus on is we serve nations, businesses, and people. And we really feel like preparation is the best strategy to protect your organization. But bad things do happen, unfortunately. So we're also there and stand by you to protect you. Um, and help you during kind of a worst crisis scenario, which is responding to a cybercrime incident. Um, so we do both the proactive and reactive side. So now how did you get into this line of work? Well, you know, it's interesting. I started off in the financial services industry and I was on the technology side, but coming up through the ranks in banking, I had responsibility not only for delivering technology that we wanted our banking clients to use, but I had responsibility for making sure fraud losses were low and making sure that the technology was secure and protecting our clients' right to privacy. And so by having sort of this kind of full-scale responsibility, um, that really shaped how I thought about security, which was Security needs to be something that enables customers, not kind of that last thing you do before you access data, like a very complex password. And I had the opportunity to work for George W. Bush, President George W. Bush at the White House, and again, had sort of that responsibility for technology operations and cybersecurity. And really sort of that was the genesis behind creating Fortalis and uh, really creating a services company to take care of you as if you were somebody on the White House staff and to service our clients the way I wished I had been taken care of when I was in roles in banking and at the White House. Now, cybersecurity touches everybody and in maybe ways that surprise some people. Um, It's not only just keeping my uh, identity safe or my money safe. It, it can kind of work into elections and things like that. You recently published a book, Manipulated, Inside the Cyber War to Hijack Elections and Distort the Truth. Can you talk about how um, cybercrimes g- getting involved in elections? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, one of the honors that we have is actually um, helping a different states and different vendors that play a role in our election uh, ecosystem to make sure that things are, processes are strong and that the technology is secure and safe so that when you vote, your vote is counted the way you intended it to be. But, you know, kind of the other piece that people need to be thinking about as it relates to election security is sort of our personal reactions to the issues. And so it used to be Um, You could hear candidates talk on an issue. You could uh, look at trusted, vetted news sources on the issue and then, you know, talk to your neighbors and make up your own mind. But what I learned in sort of my years of working cybercrime is that uh, nation states and also unscrupulous political operatives are leveraging social media 
to influence you on not just how you vote on certain issues, but maybe even to disenfranchise you into not even wanting to vote at all. And so cybersecurity for elections works everywhere from, you know, whether or not the paper ballot that you requested, did you request it from the right place? And did you mail in your ballot to the right place? To if you go election day and you um, vote on electronic uh, voting equipment, is your vote secure there? But also how you get information on these election issues and making sure that you're not a victim of a misinformation or manipulation campaign. So cyber criminals now have found their way into every aspect of our electoral process as far as an ecosystem goes. And that's an area we have a lot of passion in making sure that every voter knows how to vote, knows how to make sure their vote is counted the way it was cast, and also knows how to get information on the issues in a way where they can make up their own mind. Now, um, to, to let's talk about for our listener that's the business owner. Is there anything actionable that you can recommend in order to stay safe, whether it's their business or them as individuals? Sure. There's a couple of things, especially during COVID-19 um, and sort of post-pandemic, um, thinking about your planning. First starters, the remote worker, um, be thinking about making sure that any of your remote access has multi-factor authentication turned on. In other words, they can't just log in using a user ID and password, make sure like, for example, a text code or some type of an image is sent to their cell phone um, and they need to use sort of that additional step to get into remote access to your system. Pay special attention to the phishing, P-H-I-S-H, phishing, emails that are coming in. I just saw a report from Google that said two things. One, that they're blocking 18 million scam messages a day dedicated to something around coronavirus. And two, the security industry has now said that COVID-19 and the topics surrounding the coronavirus are the most used in cybercrime scams ever in the history of internet and internet scams. So that is the new normal to be dealing with. So make sure that your email system, that it's secure, that you're thinking about maybe more aggressively actually blocking emails that talk about CDC, that talk about who, that talk about COVID-19, and having a more manual process for deciding whether or not those mail items are actually legitimate. Be thinking about different approaches uh, where your employees may not have to actually click on a link or open an attachment. Find a way to scan those uh, before they do that to prevent your company from becoming a victim of cyber criminal syndicates. So now what do you do when you get an email that you're like, well, that, you know, that could be a phishing attempt or it's not like what are kind of some of the clues you're looking for when you're seeing an email because they're pretty clever in the way that they look. And a lot of smart people have been fooled. Yes. No, you're right. So it's interesting. We have some pretty sophisticated rules and processes in place at my company to block things before they go into our in-basket. Um, but here's an interesting one that actually got past all of the security software tools that we have in place. 
And the email was set up from a domain name that looks very similar to our company domain name. And it went to one of my employees and it said it was from me. Um, so just a hint, my employees know I hate email. So I don't email them because I don't need any more emails. Because if I email you, you're going to email me back. And so I try to avoid email as much as I can. So that was like one clue. I never email my own employees. Like we have an internal messaging platform we use. The second thing was it asked him to act quickly on my behalf. I would just pick up the phone. But um, so, and then the third thing was, I was asking him in this email to buy gift cards for the employees, but to text me the gift card information. So if you, if you think about that, right, like if, if a behavior from an executive is not what you're nor normally used to seeing, that's a red flag. Asking you to act quickly, another red flag. And then the third is some type of, a, you know, buy something electronically and then tell me what it is electronically. And so you notice there was no video conferencing there. There was no phone calling there. It was all electronic. Um, and then the other debt giveaway was it, they actually gave him a cell phone to text the information to and made the comment that it was another cell phone that I was using. Well, it wasn't my cell phone number. So all of those things can be red flags. And, and it was very well done. I mean, we all commented like somebody had done enough of research to figure out Paul worked for me um, and that, you know, maybe I would reach out to Paul on something like that. So the, the other thing that you can do when you get emails, besides that trust but verify, because he reached out to me immediately. The other thing you can do, it's not 100% foolproof, but you can take a link or an attachment in an email and you can go to a free product called virustotal.com and cut and paste the attachment or the email and it'll tell you whether or not somebody else has reported across like 60 different sources, whether or not that is a malicious link or attachment. So that can also be sort of an extra way to do a trust but verify on emails that you get. Now, let's talk a little bit about your relationship with GWBC. How has that organization impacted your business? Well, I mean, it's been wonderful. I've had uh, different people who have learned uh, about our company. So not only is it rare to find a woman uh, who is in cybersecurity, but it's even more rare to have, you know, kind of a woman-owned business um, that's a pure play cybersecurity company. Um, so it's been a great way to network. But also, um, we have had um, both private sector companies and government organizations who have a commitment to diversity. And as part of their commitment to diversity, they want to mentor women-owned businesses and they want to buy from women-owned businesses. And having that certification um, helps give them some assurances. But here's the other thing. They also know a third party from the outside is staking their reputation on that certification. And so that gives them additional peace of mind as well. Now, um, in your business, has this virus, other than create maybe opportunity, because a lot of people are using phishing scams around it, but has the virus impacted your business on how you do business or are most of your workers remote workers? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, a, there's a big part of what we do that we can do remotely. And then there's another part of it that does require sort of that in-person, it's really hard to collaborate on video conferences. You know, technology is nice, but it doesn't replace the opportunity to get 
in front of a whiteboard together and really draw in kind of real time and then go grab a bite to eat together. Um, and, you know, sort of the, the different um, parts of an in-person relationship that you can develop that's really hard to replicate um, remote. But we, we've sent everybody very early on. We sent everybody home. Uh, we started in the kind of the early days in February uh, telling staff that the, if they were uncomfortable coming into the office, also telling them if they weren't feeling well um, to just work from home and that there would be no, it would be a judgment free zone, uh, but better to have an abundance of caution than to put themselves and their coworkers at risk. Um, and so we, we went to that model pretty early. Uh, we went to a um, flexible shift model as well. Um, the other thing that we're doing as a company is uh, many of our clients are under stress and duress based on the vertical industry uh, where they typically get their revenue from, uh, entertainment, sports. I mean, you name it, uh, almost every industry has had some type of an impact. And so what we've been doing is I call it um, reimagining and pivoting to be where our customers are going to need us to be most. Um, so, for example, one of the services that was incredibly popular and high demand before COVID-19 was to do red team, you know, to act like an adversary um, and to really show if we were a cyber criminal, how we would attack a network. This isn't really the best time to be doing something like that while people are working from home. So instead, what we've been doing is pivoting and saying to our clients, red teaming can be a very disruptive, take your eye off the ball type of um, operation, let's instead do something called threat hunting, which is something where you can look for in potential indicators of compromise. You can also look to see, has a company been scanned by the outside world in a way that looks like somebody has nefarious intent with that type of scanning that's been conducted? So we can actually look to see, you know, like sort of, you know, like has somebody been peeking in your windows, just doing some surveillance on you? And that doesn't require having your employees or your team sort of take the eye off the ball of trying to make sure that you're a resilient organization during COVID, but also as we go into post-pandemic mode, um, you need to focus on what makes your business profitable. So we need to pivot and sort of be where you are and be where you need us most. Yeah, it's an uh, an interesting time where a real virus is uh, kind of making cyber viruses more uh, available. There'll be more of those floating around, I guess. A lot of people, because the people, the bad actors, this is what they do for a living. This isn't the young kid that's in the basement eating Cheetos and drinking Red Bull. These are, you know, people, com countries, people. Uh, businesses that this is their job 24 seven is to penetrate these, um, organizations. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And as a matter of fact, um, having studied the cyber criminal syndicates and nation states for decades now, um, what a lot of people need to realize is, I mean, cyber criminals are everywhere. I mean, America has them, um, every country has them, but, um, some of the best and the brightest who pull off some of the biggest heists, um, they live in economies that are not very good. Um, so this is one way for them to, I know it sounds crazy, but in their minds, um, they really have a mindset that this is a noble calling 
because they're providing for their family and their communities. Um, and in the, in it, it, it kind of turns sort of the compass of morals for them are turned on their head because in their mind, they're stealing from wealthy economies who aren't going to really miss the pennies on the dollar. You know, they don't really see us as human beings running a business and you're stealing our livelihood and you're impacting our reputation and you're impacting a business's resiliency and reliability and their reputation. They see it as, eh, you're not going to miss it much. And this will really help me out a lot. And it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a real crazy kind of moral code that these cyber criminal syndicates follow, but it's, it's a real and present danger because as you're, as you mentioned, they're at this 24 by seven, uh, they don't follow any rule books. So where we have to, as businesses have insurance, uh, we have to go through certifications. We have to get a business license, uh, background checks. Like we have to do a lot of things that are the right things to do to be an ethical, well-run company. They don't have to follow any of those rules and it's all show up, do your job and you'll get paid. Um, so it's a very, it's very tough because we we're not, playing from the same playing field. It's not just a matter of, you know, are they smarter than us or better than us? They're not. They just don't have any rules they have to follow. And they're doing this all day long. Right. And they don't have to be right all the time. They they just have to, to figure it out no. once. And then once they're in there, then they'll get what they get. And then if you stop them, then they'll work on another workaround. I mean, this is, they're working as hard, if not harder than our side. Yeah, in some in some cases, and and they um, have specialties as well. So, for example, you know, a lot of people um, don't realize that ransomware. Um, it's not like a like some elite team, and it's you know a team of five people, and they're all um, orchestrated with you know great clarity. Um, oftentimes, it's multiple groups that come together to pull off the ransomware. It's almost like a pyramid scheme, how they all get paid to do what they do. So some of them will have, like they build the ransomware. Another group may actually house and deploy it. Um, another group will actually have the keys and show up with the keys. Another group will actually provide technical support. So if you don't know how to get cryptocurrency, you don't know how to pay them, you don't know where to find the keys, they'll actually walk you through all the steps. Um, and they all basically participate in the ransomware syndicate and they may not ever meet each other, know each other. They don't all work for like a boss, uh, but they all come together and they all make money out of that process. Crazy stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and um, kind of warning us about what's out there. If somebody wanted to learn more and have more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, uh, what's the website? Sure. It's www.fortalissolutions.com. And if anybody's a big LinkedIn user, we actually have a group that the women of our company set up called Help a Sister Up on LinkedIn, which is a safe place for both men and women to promote more women in STEM, especially cybersecurity. So if you are trying to hire people, um, if you're trying to find people, be a mentor, looking for a mentee, um, feel free. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's, you know, we're always looking for new members to join that group and participate, share research. Um, it's a really fun way to get connected to an amazing global group 
of men and women who are very passionate about promoting more women in STEM and helping us to stir up. Well, thank you again uh, for being part of this. And again, the website is FortalistSolutions.com. It looks like FortAliceSolutions.com, but it sounds like FortalistSolutions.com. Is that right, yes, Teresa? that's exactly right. <laughs> yes. And you can also find us on uh, Instagram. Uh, we're Fortalist Solutions. We're um, Fortalist LLC on Twitter. And I'm at Tracker Payton. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. And we're also on Facebook. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on GWBC Open for Business. 